The scripture passage for today is that familiar story, not about the birth of Christ, but about the Good Samaritan that is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Hear now the word of God. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer said, <clears throat> the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to the word just read and the words to come, that they might point to the word made flesh in Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son as a helpless infant into a dark world, a world where people were oppressed by a brutal dictator who imposed heavy taxes not for the betterment of society, but to help the greedy get richer. Herod the Great was not only a king, he was also a murderer and a thug. There was no such thing as civil rights. Herod's power was all-encompassing, and he alone determined if you should live or die. We read in the Gospel of Matthew how he ordered the death of all children in and around Bethlehem, aged two and younger, in his effort to kill Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. To claim that life was hard for the majority of the people is an understatement. They so desperately wanted and needed the Messiah to come and save, and save them, as the prophets had proclaimed. Fast forward to today, and listen to this paragraph from an editorial in the Miami Herald dated July 3rd, 2022. You feel the weight draped on you, right? The world weariness, 
this film of exhausted depression from fighting all these daily fights that stretch endlessly from an American woman's womb all the way to Ukraine. Here is a partial list of what you see under attack. The earth is under attack from flooding to fire. Freedom is under attack. Democracy is under attack. Decency is under attack. Women are under attack. Blacks are under attack. Immigrants, exiles, Jews, Asians, Muslims, the poor, the gays are under attack. The transgender community, anything or anyone who can be framed as the other to further foment fear is under attack. Our kids are under attack. Our mothers, wives, girlfriends, sisters, daughters, the things we love and the things we need. Your bank account, your gas tank, your rent, your oceans, your farms, your futures, your free speech is under attack. Fair elections, facts, the free press, the Constitution, the Capitol building is under attack. We, the people, are under attack. Whatever you thought, and dreamed this country was or could be is under attack. This article was written before the latest mass shooting at the 4th of July parade in Highland Park. O come, O come, Emmanuel, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. We long for the Messiah today, just as much as our brothers and sisters did thousands of years ago. Don't we all need a little peace without numbing ourselves, a little joy without burying our head in the sand, and a little help in knowing how to respond to all this hurt in the world? So I thought, a little Christmas in July might help to capture some of the feelings and goodwill that Christmas can evoke. I love that time of year when we're waiting in anticipation for something good to come. We tend to be a bit more kind and gentle and giving. I wasn't thinking so much of the bright and sparkly deck the halls with boughs of holly, but rather more candlelight and conversation, more of the deeper notes of the love and hope that was born in Bethlehem that perhaps needs to be reborn in you and in me. The gospel passage assigned to July 10th is perhaps one of the best known stories in the Bible. The Good Samaritan has even crossed over into pop culture. In the news, those who do good deeds are called Good Samaritans. We even have a Good Samaritan law, which protects volunteers who give aid to an injured person. It is ironic that Jesus, a good Jew, who was speaking to primarily a Jewish audience, would choose to make a Samaritan the hero of his parable. Jews hated Samaritans. They were heretics and half-breeds. Today, Samaritan would evoke the same visceral response as Nazi or Taliban. Now, the good guy of this passage could have been the lawyer, who, by the way, was not a lawyer in the contemporary sense of the word. He was a religious man who became a lawyer by passing the Bible content exam, not the bar exam. 
we learn that he is trying to test Jesus when he asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. It's no surprise that this biblical scholar can easily rattle off the answer to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, to which Jesus says, do this and live. If only it were that easy. How many stories do you know where a doctor has told her patient to just give up salt or sugar or cigarettes? or alcohol, and then they would live, but they just couldn't do it. You know, my dad had a quadruple bypass in his late 40s. The doctor told him he had to stop smoking and drinking if he wanted to live, and he did for a while, until he didn't anymore. And he died when he was only 54 years old. Such a loss. Jesus isn't asking us to give up something that we might be addicted to. He's inviting us to love God and to love each other so we can live. Unfortunately, many of us tend to act more like the lawyer who wanted to put a limit on how much and who he has to love in an effort to justify himself and maybe for that lack of love that he had for other people he asked Jesus to define neighbor. The lawyer was stunned and surely disappointed that the answer was the good Samaritan. What was it that made this Samaritan good? Well, it turns out he's an awful lot like Emmanuel. The Samaritan saw the hurt person, he drew near to him, and he had compassion on him. Likewise, the triune God saw the hurting people on earth and drew near to them through the birth of Jesus. The compassion was so deep that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we are promised the good life forever. Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan to remind us that the good life that lasts forever begins today, even in this weary world, especially in this weary world. Jesus said, do this and you will live. According to our text, the thing to do is to have enough love for God's self and for the guy in the ditch. What do we know about this guy to whom the Samaritan showed mercy? Very little. The Greek text could be translated literally as a certain man. So, some guy, some anonymous fellow of indeterminate age, of unspecified ethnicity, and of unknown origins was taking a trip. He could be anybody. And that was the point Jesus makes. He is anybody. The lawyer probably wanted to interrupt Jesus right there. Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, what man are we talking about? Can you describe him? Is it anyone I might know? Is he Jewish, a Gentile, gay, straight, Roman or Greek, black or white, slave or free? What man? Even if the lawyer had, if he'd asked this, Jesus would have said, a certain man, some nameless, faceless fellow was taking a trip and got mugged. 
They beat him half senseless, took his wallet, took his clothes, and then left him for dead along the side of the road. You see, because the man was unconscious and without clothing or accoutrement to identify his status, he is known only by his desperate need, which wasn't enough, by the way, to get the religious people to stop and help. Oh, they had their excuses. Now, before we judge too harshly, I wonder, what are your excuses? I know, mine. I'm too busy. It might not be safe. I don't know what to do. I've got my dog in the car. And the world gets a little darker. Imagine now if the man in the ditch had a shaved head and a swastika tattoos, a man like Christian Piccioloni. Christian was recruited by a neo-Nazi leader when he was just 14 years old. He had been bullied by classmates and somewhat neglected by immigrant parents who were trying to make ends meet by working two to three jobs. He felt marginalized, powerless, weak, and unheard. He so desperately wanted to belong that he eagerly joined this organization that he knew nothing about, nor the people he was supposed to hate. Well, it turns out that Piccioloni was charismatic and a good leader. When he spoke, people listened. He ended up leading the largest and most influential neo-Nazi skinhead gang for years. He got married at 19, and when he had his first son, he remembered what it was to love something instead of hate. And something began to shift in him. He opened a record store to support his family and to get away from the violence on the street. Suddenly, he was now encountering people he had never been up close to before. He found himself feeling compassion for a black man who came into his store with tears in his eyes because his mother had cancer. Jewish people came into his store, and these people didn't match the image that was planted in his head. The gay couple who shopped with their son clearly loved their child just as much as he loved his own child. One by one, he saw the other. He drew near emotionally and physically. He felt compassion, and his worldview began to change. Eventually, he left the skinheads, and for the last 20 years, he's been helping others disengage from this hateful ideology. He wisely says, hatred is born of ignorance, fear is the father, and isolation is the mother. Christian says he never tries to argue or debate with skinheads who reach out to him. He doesn't tell them that they're wrong. Instead, he does what Jesus did. He draws them in. He listens and has compassion for them. Receiving compassion for those who least deserve it turns out to be the secret of a soul feeling its worth. Jesus saw people, really saw them and their pain, and he responded with compassion. 
the Bushmen of the Kalahari Desert have a wonderful ancient greeting. Rather than saying, good morning, or how are you, without really wanting to know the answer, they say, I see you. How beautiful and profound, I see you, which are really the first steps of showing compassion. I think it's worth noting the difference between compassion, empathy, and sympathy. I like Brene Brown's definition of compassion, which is a deeply held spiritual belief about how we live. It's making a spiritual commitment to empathy. Empathy is a skill set that can be learned. In fact, Denmark, which has been ranked among the top three happiest countries in the world for the last seven years and counting, has empathy in their core curriculum. Kids in schools from kindergarten to high school spend one hour every week dedicated to working on empathy. While empathy is feeling with, sympathy is feeling for. Here's an example. A person falls into a hole. Empathy knows that the hole is now sacred space. Empathy asks, are you okay? Do you want some company? Empathy listens a lot. Empathy means knowing our own darkness well enough that we can sit in the dark with others. It's a relationship between equals. Without being enmeshed, we can join them in the whole, but we always have a way out. Empathy says, I am here with you. But empathy knows it's not my whole. Sympathy, on the other hand, goes to the edge of the hole, looks down and says, oh, what happened? Ooh, that sounds bad. I feel bad from you way up here. I'm probably not going to go down there. I'm so sorry for you. Do you hear the difference? Empathy says, I get what you're feeling. I'm not judging you. I'm here for you. This love expressed with compassion through empathy is not complicated, but it takes intentionality, it takes self-awareness, it takes practice, it takes lots and lots of love. I think that's why we need the Christ child to be born again in us, to have the essence of love within us so we are filled up and equipped to share it in our own unique way. The problems of our weary world are huge. Can you imagine if we were all moving through our days with eyes to see, with the courage to draw near, and the willingness to be compassionate? I believe with God's love, we, we have the power to change the world. Remember, it doesn't have to be an enormous deed. The Samaritan helped one person, and we're still talking about it. The ripple effects are transformative, giving us a thrill of hope. Beth Clark wrote on Facebook, I've noticed something about people who make a difference in the world. They hold the unshakable conviction that individuals are extremely important, that every life matters. They get excited over one smile. They are willing to feed one stomach. 
educate one mind and treat one wound, they aren't determined to revolutionize the world all at once. They're satisfied with small changes. Over time, though, the small changes add up. Sometimes they even transform cities and nations and, yes, the world. Do you remember that old story about the boy who was on the beach where the millions of starfish had washed up on shore? A man watched as the boy would pick up a starfish and throw it back into the sea, and then another, and then another. And finally, the man said to the boy, there are too many. You are not going to make a difference. Holding up that starfish, that little boy said, but to this one, it makes all the difference in the world. And even more, it makes all the difference in the world to that boy and to the man who observed that compassionate love. One starfish at a time, one person at a time. That is how we heal the world with Christ's love. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be born in a manger, to be born in you and in me.